Hey, folks, Tom Block. Thanks for tuning into Front Row Knowles, and thanks to the Champions Club and Seminole Boosters for their longtime support of this podcast. By now, you've seen or heard about the Boosters One Tribe campaign, which is annual membership to Seminole Boosters that helps fund the most vital needs of the FSU athletics program, including scholarships, academic support, and athletic training. I'll put this as simply as I can. If you're listening to this podcast, you care about FSU athletics and should be a booster. Many of you already are. Thank you. And I encourage you, if you're able, to increase your support. If you're not a member, you can join for as little as 70 bucks a year. Just go to boosters.fsu.edu to learn more. And now sit back, keep your seat, keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle. Well, you know the drill. Enjoy the show. Here's Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. It is your favorite time of the week. Tom and KJ back with you on Front Row Knowles. Keith, good to see you, sir. I know it's my favorite time of the week. Is it truly your favorite time of the week, Tom? I just put on a good act once a week when we get together, Keith. Don't tell the listeners, okay? All right, I, we'll, we'll beat that out. I always do look forward to this week. Now, I'm, I'll be candid because we're getting to the, the summer months, which tend to get a little drier. I'm not going to suggest that, you know, and I don't know if this is a Wednesday, but like the July 16th show. Not a lot going on from a Florida State standpoint, typically. But that said, uh, I do look forward to this uh, each and every week, Keith. So uh, since last we convened, FSU continues to tear it up in every sport they play, pretty much. Although I guess maybe with baseball, that's not true. They lost to a red-hot NC State team. But women's golf winds up finishing with a top-10 finish nationally. Uh, The men's track and field team. You know, we'll hear from Bob Brayman later on, and he'll point out the top 10 is the standard when you look at everybody finishing in the top 10. So that that interview is coming up later. I always enjoy chatting with Coach Brayman. I don't know how many conference titles he's won, Keith, but it's It's a lot. It's 11 or 12 on the men's side and maybe six or seven on the women's or something. It's a a big number. Yeah, that's just on the outdoor track circuit, though. And there's some on the indoor and there's, you know, so – Anyway, Coach Brayman and his track team, they've got a record contingent going to regionals this week in Jacksonville. So we've not talked a lot of track and field. We'll give them their due later on in the program. Uh, Men's golf will tee off in the national championships later this week. Softball won the regionals again. I mean, it's like the sun rising and setting every day, right? Softball going to the super regionals. Sunday was a very interesting day for me for three reasons. Number one, Kathleen was out of town, so I was batching it. And number two, that meant I didn't even have dog duty, which is even better. And thirdly, I could watch anything I wanted on television. So I began, after I got back from Sunday school and church, I began watching uh, the softball. And then, of course, get to watch PGA with uh, Mickelson doing what he was doing. But Brooks, you know, right there in the mix. And uh, so by the time Kathleen got home, I was in a very, very happy mood. Uh, So we went out to eat. So Sunday was a good day Understood. and the softball, I, I get fascinated. I don't watch enough during the regular season. I'm, I'm bad about that. But once they get into postseason play, um, I just love watching Lonnie's ladies. I mean, they're just fun. And I used to make fun. You and I think, well, I won't put you in there, but I used to make fun of all the quirks and things that the ladies do in between outs and after innings and that type of thing. But I've grown to like that. 
and uh, just watching them perform, it, it was very, very pleasant, and I'm excited for them. I'll share two softball anecdotes. Uh, I'll also remind our listeners that Bob Frante, our Osceola insider, will join us next segment. We'll talk a little football recruiting, Keith. You, you don't live on social media, but there's an offensive lineman in the portal who apparently invented offensive line play. This is how excited we are about the possibility that he might come to FSU and the social media craze uh, that's chasing this guy. I want to get Bob's opinion, Keith, because here's where we are. We've become the old guys, Keith. And even I'm wondering, is this really how recruiting is going to work? It's all about how much love you give somebody on Twitter. And apparently the answer is yes, because he's coming for a visit next week. Well, I would only counter that, and our listeners know uh, where I come from. I don't Twitter. I don't tweet. I may have turked once, but that was on an accident. But I'm just reminding you of the, of the boy in California that wanted to have people show up for his birthday party and, and dang near caused a riot when thousands showed up when social media goes haywire. So uh, somewhere in between, uh, we need to get back to reality. Well, we are talking about an offensive lineman, though, Keith. So, I mean, all bets are off. <laughs> um, here's the softball thing. Uh, it, my son was playing in a soccer tournament over the weekend out at the FSU Rec Sportsplex, which if you don't my, know. Is, my granddaughter was out there as well on okay. Saturday. And, and if you don't know, listeners, not everybody that listens to this show. Matter of fact, plenty of people who listen to the show don't live in Tallahassee uh, that listen to the podcast. But anyway, it's close to the airport. And I live northeast Tallahassee out Thomasville Road. So bottom line, there was a big break between his games, but not big enough to justify going all the way to the house. But enough to justify getting out of the sun because it was a little hot out at the soccer field. So I looked at uh, my phone. I saw that softball was in the fifth inning. And I thought, I know a certain parking garage that I can go to and not get on the top level. I can go one level below and Nolan and I can watch the rest of the softball game. So that's what we did on Saturday. We killed an hour. We drove over there. Watched him close it out. He was cheering. He was fired up. So that was all good. And you didn't now, have a Sharpie in your car? You couldn't have given a Sharpie? I mean, Jen and, and whoever was doing – Jen Hildreth, longtime friend of mine, was doing the play-by-play. And, and they were talking about the Ks that were being mounted up there on the top, but you couldn't see them because they were marking them in ink and not in Sharpie. You didn't have a Sharpie you could go give them? I didn't realize that that was an issue, but that's actually right where we landed was with the animals uh, posting the Ks. I didn't realize at that time that the Sharpie was an issue. But now that you pointed out, I probably had one in my car and could have saved the day. Uh, so the second part of this story is, uh, as has been on the books for about 18 months, uh, the Block family will be in New Orleans this weekend because my niece is getting married on Saturday. And most of the festivities uh, involve my wife and daughter being part of the bridal party and all that sort of thing, which means Nolan and I have a lot of free time. And, though, and then conveniently, FSU softball is playing at LSU softball. And I've got a wide open Friday night. So there's a pretty good chance that uh, I might venture there to just take in the what, atmosphere. What's that, about an hour and 10, hour and 15-minute drive for yeah, you? Yeah, it's, it's 70 miles, 70 miles yep, from where yep, my in-laws yep, are. Yep. Yeah. yeah, so that might be the Friday night activity uh, this week as we're on the road with softball. I'll alert the media in Louisiana. <laughs> All right, let's talk – yeah, please do. Let's talk uh, baseball real quick. Now, full disclosure, and many of you know this, we generally tape this show early, and, and Florida State played an 11 o'clock game today against – uh, Duke, so we don't have any news to report on that. We will get you an update on that momentarily. But from a from a bigger perspective, Keith, Florida State had won five series in a row and then ran into an NC State team that's red hot. 
drop the final series of the season. And so I think as we look at it now, they wound up finishing fifth in the ACC. And I'll go back to what I've said. I don't know that they were really worthy of hosting a regional, even though that ship sailed and we've talked about it. And maybe this bears it out that they finished fifth. But what is interesting is that the when the awards came out, when you look at this team that's been flawed, I mean, it's really been a home run or a strikeout. And that's going to, you know, and if you're hitting home runs, you win. And if you're striking out, you lose. That sounds obvious. But that's the way this team has played out on the field. They wind up getting the pitcher of the year, the ACC freshman of the year, the player of the year in Matthew Nelson. That's never happened in ACC history. And it comes on what I'd consider a flawed FSU team. But it does show that they've got some pretty good parts. The parts are, are as we've talked about, the bad news. And, and we haven't spent much time talking about this, but let's just take the pitching. Uh, and we have touched on this a little bit in that. Florida State has two, three, five pitchers that would not be on this team under normal circumstances. And so how do you balance getting them innings versus not innings and that type of thing? As it relates to home runs and strikeouts, you've got kids that are playing this year that are really playing disappointed because they thought they'd be in the minor leagues or they thought they'd be in triple-A ball. And so I wonder how much the psychological of I'm in Tallahassee and Tallahassee is a great place, but I really wanted to be somewhere else, how much that plays into anything. So the COVID stuff just continues to make us at least nothing else have something to talk about. I would think at this point, now that you're into the postseason, ACC tournament, NCAA regionals, that whatever there is psychologically, when there's championships on the line, maybe you can put that behind you and just go out and fight. Well, that's what you hope, particularly if these are kids that have aspirations of doing more. So, yeah, in that regard, Florida State may be well uh, posed, if that's the right way to say it, because we've seen what they could do that one week that made us all just get giddy with the uh, win over uh, Florida and the sweep of Miami. We know what they're capable of. And as we've talked about with our football team and, and, and other times, sometimes it's above the shoulders. You know, it's not, it's not the physical attributes. It's how you, how you approach it. Uh, so maybe just maybe we're homers. We're hoping it, but we'll see. Bear in mind, we're having this conversation uh, without knowing the result of the uh, FSU Duke game from earlier today. However, our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante is pulling double duty. We'll talk with him next segment. But uh, right now, he's going to provide an update on what happened in Charlotte at the ACC tournament today. Subject Bob, to no technical difficulties. Yeah, Bob, take Subject it away. Subject to that. A rough day at the office for the Florida State baseball team. Duke taking a 12-1 to win over the Seminoles in pool play at the ACC tournament in Charlotte, North Carolina. It was the most lopsided defeat of the season for the Seminoles. It comes at a really bad time as Florida State is trying to improve its postseason resume and now cannot do it. They are eliminated from any chance of reaching the ACC tournament semifinals on Saturday. Bryce Hubbard didn't make it out of the first inning, struggled from the start, gave up four runs. Force had to use nine pitchers. They collectively gave up seven walks and 11 earned runs. Florida State hitters, meanwhile, also struggled. 13 strikeouts. Robbie Martin did have a solo home run in the fourth inning. But that was really it, as the Seminoles just had four hits on the afternoon. Now, what's next for the Seminoles? They will play what is a relatively meaningless game on Friday against Miami at 3 p.m. But any game against Miami has some value. You can see as a momentum builder, maybe also an argument to the NCAA selection committee. 
as they will make their picks on Monday. The Semos are projected as a number two seed in a regional by D1Baseball.com. You can see the Seminoles play anywhere from Gainesville to all the way out west, like Tucson or Spokane, Washington. Thank you very much, Bob. So now you know uh, even more than we do, candidly, as Keith and I continue this conversation. Bob will join us. Though I, I, Next segment, I want to talk a little bit more about uh, recruiting in uh, as it relates to football, that conversation I already had. It's kind of crazy, Keith, that you'd be on pins and needles, fingers crossed, as the calendar's about to hit June, that you might just find a, a present that all of a sudden you can unwrap and, and put him in pads and he'll roll out there and be a first-team lineman. Are we, are, is anybody going to remember five years, 10 years, 20 years from now, all of the angst that was associated with National Signing Day and those cameras that would be placed in the, in the conference room with coaches sitting around waiting for someone to grab a sheet of paper off of a fax machine and rush in and said, Thomas William Block has indeed signed with Florida State, and you'd see all the coaches get excited. Are we ever going to remember those days? Feels like those days are gone, does it not? Yep. Here's my suggestion, Keith. As long as we always throw ideas against the wall and see if they would stick, I thought of this during the NFL draft. We just need to have – it'd be like the opposite of a draft in that the players would do the choosing instead of the school's. But we need a transfer portal televised event. We'll just put it over 48 hours and everybody in the portal, I don't know how you choose first, they would just announce, I'm going to Florida State. Now, second on the on the clock is Bob Jones, who's uh, transferring from Texas Tech, and he would announce that I'm going to Miami. And we just go through it that way. Now, the schools would have to accept these players, I guess. So that's a little wrinkle to it. But it seems like there's a television possibility for this in the future with the portal. Well, and when July 16th rolls around or whatever the Wednesday of that particular time is, we can have the conversation about the recent article that appeared in one of the national publications about what is now being termed the wild, wild west of the portal and the tampering or alleged thereof and the LeBron-esque recruiting by player to player and the rest of the unintended consequences that are falling out uh, because of something that we, I fault, but now agree that is in the kid's best interest, but we're going to have to get some handles on some things potentially, but another conversation for another day. Yeah. And the toothpaste is out of the tube on this, Keith, but a middle ground would have been to keep the one year sitting out for one year in effect, unless your coach left. I mean, that would have been a pretty easy thing. You sign and then your coach left. Okay. Now you're free to go. That would have limited. Yeah, but which some. coach head coach or segment coach or, or guy who recruited you. So that's where it got a little stickier. And we just or went maybe all equipment manager. Cause we got a new one of those for football. Now. Could have been that too. Or an academic advisor or a professor. Yeah. So oh, they just, the president, how about they just, the president? We got a new one of those coming in too. They just did away with the waiver, uh, appeal process entirely and just said here you go and thus this is where we are thank okay, you for I'll, not uh, chastising for me me for being the smart aleck that i am yeah you're a little more smart alecky than usual today keith but i'll i'll put up with it we'll take a break here come back get bob ferrante on the line i'll remind you that uh, this program comes your way in part because of the golf club at summerbrook go ahead and give them a call at 894-4653 find out more about membership great course great 
pool as well. If you want to enjoy those festivities, uh, I spent a lot of time out there. I'm not going to lie. Friday night, happy hour, Friday night lights on the driving range. That is the golf club at Summerbrook. All right. More front row Knowles right after this. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back. It's time to open up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. We say hello once again to our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante, who already provided an update from the ACC tournament. This segment, Bob, unless you're clairvoyant, uh, we'll just acknowledge is pre-recorded. So uh, what you heard in the first segment uh, was after the baseball game. What you're hearing now is before FSU has played Duke. But how are you, sir? Doing well. How are you guys? Good, good. But continuing that baseball theme, do you find it I don't know if surprise, maybe surprising is the right word. Uh, a year in which Florida State has this isn't the best Florida State team we've seen, and they just clean out the conference awards based on Parker Messick and Matthew Nelson. That it's pretty pretty remarkable to me. Yeah, I think it's pretty remarkable too that you know you, you've got a, a quality player like Matthew Nelson leading the, the the nation in home runs and and up there, you know, in RBIs. The the pitching staff has been honestly what has kind of carried this team throughout the course of the season. It, it hasn't been super consistent. I mean, we saw that on Saturday when you win a uh, fifteen to eleven game at NC State. That you know it's not going to always be the day for the pitchers. But but Parker Messick was about as consistent as you could ask for. You know, from anyone, let alone a, a redshirt freshman. You know, to have ten starts in a row where you're only allowing two earned runs or fewer. It is pretty remarkable, and and he's had he's had some struggles of late. I think the injuries have have hit him, and he's kind of had to battle through those. But um, you know, to have a guy like Parker to set the tone throughout the year in that Friday night role, of course, things have changed as the rotation has been jumbled. But but yeah, I mean, Parker set the tone, and, and Matthew set the tone for the hitters, and and kind of guided the pitching staff. They're they're two guys that are are pretty humble, and I think they've they've appreciated what the team has done behind them to, uh, to support them in winning these awards. Bob, one of the things we talk about in basketball uh, with freshmen is they're used to playing 25, 28 games, and then they get to the collegiate level. If you get into tournaments you're, or, and or postseason, you play 35 or 40. But we don't ever talk about the baseball kids because, you know, they play a, a shortened high school season, but then most of them play in the summer. But yet – this might be the most consecutive weekends that, that he's had to pitch in in his entire career. And, of course, that's when those injuries and those bugs start, start creeping up a little bit. Yeah, Parker's battled it. I think he's had, you know, what call it ankle, foot, whatever. I know he was in a walking boot after one start, you know, maybe a month, month and a half ago. So it's, you know, it, it's things that he's clearly – there's an understanding that he's not hundred percent, but I don't think he's doing any, any further damage to himself by, by battling through some of those, he had some back soreness. And that's kind of why, you know, Florida state jumbled the rotation um, before that Clemson series. So, um, so yeah, it, it's been a challenge, but I think these are the guys who have kind of put Florida state in position to win, 
you know, ball games, you, you can't say anymore that, that a pitcher, you know, the win loss record is, is kind of a, a tough measurement for a pitcher, obviously. Right. But they're putting you in position to win a game with a really good quality, deep start. And then the bullpen has taken over. So, um, that's the strength of Florida state. That's, that's why I think you have optimism for what they can do in the ACC tournament and in the postseason. but, but now everybody's going to be really good too. And, and we'll have to kind of see where the Seminoles go in the postseason, how things play out. ACC tournament continues this week. Florida state plays again on Friday and then we'll see what happens uh, over the weekend, but let's commit this to our listeners because, uh, of the situation with us pre-recording today. We'll go all in on baseball next week and preview the regionals and, and do a deep dive there as it relates to FSU and how the postseason uh, shapes up as they head into regionals. But let's continue on the diamond, Bob. And I guess it's now death, taxes, and FSU softball and the Supers, right? That's Those are the three guarantees in life. And it seems like they're always going to be bracketed up with LSU, whether it's in Baton Rouge or, or here in Tallahassee. You know, I have to say to start, it was a really fun atmosphere this weekend at the Seminole Softball Complex. You had full capacity based on the NCAA rules. Um, you know, so there were just hundreds of fans, people in the berm areas, people in the parking garage watching the games. Uh, the animals were out there in their usual spot. So it was really, really fun. To You heard some chatter from the UCF fans, but once they would kind of spark up every now and then, you heard a louder and more emphatic chatter, I think, from the Florida State fans. Um, you know, Coach Alameda saying that on Sunday in particular, fans were out there sitting on the berm when she arrived at 9.30 in the morning. So it just showed you they wanted those seats and they wanted to watch softball. They wanted to be outside. It, it was a really cool atmosphere. And I, I think, again, with Florida State softball, it's a similar formula. Pitching and starting pitching has carried them. It's been different arms. You know, it's been uh, at times Kalen Arnold and, and Danielle Watson. At other times, uh, you know, Kat Sandercock had a one-hitter on Sunday. She went 5.2 innings, uh, no-hitter going, honestly. And, and some people knew it. Others didn't. We were all kind of being quiet and just kind of seeing how it unfolded. But it was really uh, a, a good three games for the starting pitching to, uh, to dominate. And now, you know, on to LSU for that Super Regional starting Thursday. And you're right, Bob, at least uh, from a 30,000-foot level, Florida State softball familiar with LSU softball. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how many times it is in a row. And it seems like it is so frequent and almost done based on geography, even though we know it's not you know, done that way anymore. But, yeah, you know, Florida State has had to go through LSU, it seems like, in 2019 and a couple other times prior but yeah, the Seminoles are, are in the Supers for an eighth straight year. It, it's, a, it's a model of consistency that um, I, I think a lot of us on the outside have appreciated. Uh, when Juan Alameda was asked about it on Sunday, she kind of was taken by surprise, didn't realize that it was eight straight times. And, and when asked the question, just sort of said, well, my focus is more you know, pitch by pitch, game by game. I, I haven't really given it much thought. But you know, to us, that's pretty incredible. You know, it, it just shows the consistency of what you built and maybe even better that it's not on her radar. She's just not even thinking about that kind of thing. Mr. Block has volunteered that uh, he may be present for that Friday night game in LSU. So you uh, probably should get him to file a story for the Osceola since he'll be right there and, and firsthand and, and, and can be eyeballs on the ground as it were. 
Okay, I'm going to hold you to that. That sounds like about 400 words with quotes. Uh, you know, one hour after the uh, the game's over sounds good to me. I, I think that there was some miscommunication in that exchange, uh, Keith. What I failed to acknowledge is that if I am in the stadium, there's a pretty good chance an adult beverage or two might be involved, and I think those are required actually when you attend a game at LSU. Well, now wait a minute, wait a minute. That he asked for quotes. That's not your quotes after ingesting said adult beverages that's that's other people's quotes so yeah we may have to revisit that understood so Keith I know you're going to get on me for being the uh the glasses half empty guy here but Bob we know that the fans can get a little crazy at LSU baseball saw it a couple years ago though they prevailed in that regional but we're talking about a situation where FSU has not played in front of a full house all year until this weekend and those fans were on their side so now they're going to go on the road where the fans are not on their side, save for me if I'm there and Nolan and a, and a small contingent of FSU folks, right? Do you think that's a factor this weekend? I, I always think the crowd is, is a little bit of a factor, whether an athlete or a coach admits it or not. I, I think, yeah, I mean, Coach Alameda has talked a little bit about this where they haven't played in front of fans all year. And, and she was kind of curious how the players would react being at home and having so many fans and having that much encouragement, um, kind of looking up into the stands at times and seeing, you know, maybe more, more family members, more, more friends and such. So when it's the opposite side, when it's LSU and yeah, we saw what it was like for that baseball series, that atmosphere, um, at, at, in Baton Rouge is incredible. Um, so I always tell people, if you ever had the chance go there, but understand you're, if you're, tra- if you're traveling and rooting for Florida state, you have to kind of understand where you are and that it's a, it's a really intense atmosphere. So yeah, I, I think it will have an impact for sure. It, it has to. Well, I've, I've played football in Tiger Stadium, Death Valley, whatever they're calling it, uh, granted 40 years ago. And we loved it. We were the absolute underdogs. This is way before Florida State traveled with thousands of fans. And if these ladies are anything like us idiots uh, back in the day, Man, you revel in that stuff because it's you against them. And uh, I always found it enjoyable. I, I, I never found that intimidating. They're much classier and better than you guys were, Keith, for the record. Understood. <laughs> hey, Bob, I promised at the top we'd talk a little bit of football, and you and I talked offline about this. I have uh, – I'm sort of becoming KJ because I – I'm mystified and maybe I shouldn't be that that recruiting apparently, especially related to the transfer portal now has become maybe a popularity contest or how much love can we show one player that's in the portal to try and get them to come here. So, you know, previously you'd like to think that the position coach or the program overall and all those things factor in, but this might be the deciding vote. You know, it's interesting how how social media can can be good and bad. It has its advantages, I think, when when you are trying to recruit, and it, if that's what appeals to an athlete, it can catch attention. Um, you know, in the case of of Kane Madden, um, you know, a, a Marshall athlete from Ohio, maybe doesn't know a whole lot about Florida State. Besides, you know, he's seen some games here and there. He's kind of heard about. You know, Seminole, Seminoles, Osceola, Renegade, Doak Campbell Stadium. But now he, he kind of gets the big picture of, of who's behind the program. And it's, it's players and coaches and fans. And 
I, I was very curious with this one in particular, with June 1 approaching so quickly, and it's coming up on Tuesday. I, I kind of said before, you know, he was locked in as, as a visitor on June 1. You know, if, if Florida State or anybody gets him in first, that might be it. That might be the visit that he intends. That's his top choice. He's kind of sold from a distance, but then when he shows up and takes a look around, he might further be sold. So it, it's obvious. Florida State needs offensive line help. Um, he, he looks like a guard and not a tackle, but Florida State needs help on the offensive line. And I, I think the Seminoles know that that's the route to winning ball games is continuing to strengthen that offensive line. To that end, Bob, he's apparently, correct me if I'm wrong, is he head and shoulders the best offensive lineman that's been in the portal this year or the best one that Florida State's had a realistic chance at? Because all of a sudden, nobody's clamoring for a tackle anymore. They're just like, oh, well, we'll take him as a guard. That's a good problem to have. You know, it's a good question. I, I believe there was a tackle from Charlotte who, um, you know, it was a Texas native and ended up, I believe, going to Arkansas. And that was a few months back. But, look, there haven't been as many offensive linemen in the portal, especially in the last, say, month or so. And, and we're getting down to the point where, where Florida State's got an opportunity to go get them. And, um, and, and this is – this is a big improvement because you can get them in in time for, for summer strength and conditioning for those off-season workouts. Uh, you can kind of blend in with the offensive linemen. This is, this, the timing is just about right to get him in. He's got the kind of experience that you really are looking for from an offensive lineman. Any buzz, any word, any thoughts uh, now that the, the staff has completed their camps for the, for the what, first to eighth graders or whatever they were? And now in June, they're going to have what is traditionally known as the football camps where you can bring in, you know, your high school kids and et cetera. Uh, anything that has jumped out at you about that that's a little unusual under the, under the new regime uh, in terms of tweaks and differences and that type of thing that you've heard about? You know, the biggest thing I think those youth camps did was just reconnect, you know, Florida State. And, and the new coaches to the community, to the, the FSU fans and alumni and, and get little kids interested in, in football and the program. But I, I do think when you, when you go around the state like that, the local media um, covers you, whether it's, you know, online or, or local TV stations, and it, it generates a lot of buzz. And so how does that help you in terms of the high school recruits? Well, I think that kind of feeds into just buzz that, maybe makes you want to check out Tallahassee as part of that mega camp that, you know, coach Norvell. And it seems like it grows by the day, how many programs are going to be on site for what, what I guess will be like a satellite type of camp, you know, 50 to 60 schools on June 6th. It, it just kind of makes, honestly, those ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th graders want to come to Tallahassee and just check things out. And, and you can now shake hands and talk to people face to face instead of, text, phone call, FaceTime, Zoom. So the timing just seems like they've, they've created that buzz through these youth camp trips, and it'll, it'll kind of blend in, I think, maybe seamlessly into what's going to really be a, a jump start of recruiting with the 22 class and, and 23 class too. He is Bob Ferrante, our Osceola insider. Bob, thank you, sir. Take care, guys. Pulling double duty. That'll be reflected in your paycheck, so look out for that. More front row Knowles right after this.
Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ with you. It is a big week for Florida State's track and field programs. The East Regional is taking place in Jacksonville, and it's always enjoyable when we get a chance to catch up with longtime head track and field coach Bob Brayman, who is with us right now. Hey, Coach, how are you? Good, Tom. Good, Keith. Glad to be on with you guys and glad to be talking track and field. I should point out once again, and, and you've had quite a few of these, but uh, once again, an ACC championship coach based on the fact that the men and women both were champions uh, uh, crowned earlier this month and I think what you turned was the most competitive ACC women's meet you've ever seen and, and obviously on the men's side uh, Virginia Tech has been very tough in, in years gone by but uh, you got it done on both sides yeah that was great and I really think that the kids and uh, our team anyway they feed off each other and the men were having just an incredible meet and uh, the ladies were you know basically picked to finish third coming in the final day and um that's not the first time they've rallied up and <laughs> and got it done they did the same thing indoors so uh really really special bunch of ladies and um it was great that both teams could win and celebrate together and you know kind of get that acc credit uh, credibility in play and now on to the big stuff bob not to to overreact but the ladies came down from about as big a deficit as you could have to try to get to the co-champions on the last day yeah you're right keith it it was um the only time we've coming back from a bigger deficit that i can remember was this year in the indoor meet but we kind of could see that one coming because we had qualified so well um but in a three-day outdoor meet when you get to the third day there's just only so many finals left and you can only make up so much ground but um they were not to be denied and it was it was incredible well let's fast forward to this week in the regionals and the ncaa has had this format for well if i ask you you're going to tell me it's a lot more years than i remember when they made this change but uh, as a starting point you've got you've got 39 student athletes 20 on the men's side 19 on the women's i think which is the biggest contingent you've ever taken to the regional so uh that's a good problem to have as a starting point yeah, it's a great starting point. I mean, our kids had a really good year. We knew we were a, a deep team, and that helped us win ACCs. Now you've got to be a special team. You know, those those elites have to be elite. Those people under the bubble have to snag those spots to Oregon. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it's a huge group. And, um, you know, and the thing is, even though we have two out of two men's relays and one out of two women's relays, those relays are not the reason our numbers are so big. I mean, of the, of the 20 men at the region, 17 of them, you know, made the field individually. So that's a big, big number. And on the ladies side, it was something like of the 18, about 16 made it individually and if not 17. So um, yeah, even though they're parts of relays, they, they were good individually. So going to be a big meet, um, you know, four days of, coach uh coach stress and athlete enjoyment bob once again florida state with some exceptional sprinters talk about your your, your men and your women the, the at least the top ones that 100 200 and on the relay that three-peat uh is is something that you guys have been known for and this year's no exception yeah you're exactly right keith our our sprinters and, and on the men's side you know trey cunningham and the hurdles um 
just really, really exceptional. Our women's four by one is fifth in the country, four by one relay. Our men's, I think, is seventh or so, but they're they're coming like rain. So they're going to be, you know, they're going to be in the mix. Um, the last time we ran in 2019, they broke the collegiate record and got second. So um, Rick Argro's men's sprinters are going to be great. And Matt Kane's women's sprinters are going to be great. Uh, individually, though, you know, Jayla Kirkland was the MVP of the ACC meet. So she's a she's an absolute power in the one, the two, and the relay. And then on the men's side, it's a, kind of a dual thing with Kason James and uh, Jovan Martin, both elite one and two guys, um, not just on the conference level, but the national level. So, so yeah, kind of led by those guys, but we've got some great jumpers that are in the mix. And uh, finally, Coach Brayman stepped up and put a distance runner or two out there. Uh, Coach Kelly Phillips has always done that, and she's got a potential winner in Maudie Skyring. She's either one or two in the country. So that's pretty cool. I was going to ask you, Bob, and you just, you just hinted at it. You know, when you coach track and field, you got to make some decisions. Uh, typically, are you going to be sprint heavy? Are you going to excel in the field events? Is it going to be distance? Uh, because you've only got so many scholarship dollars to allocate. So what, what is the balance like from your, you know, for the men and women this year for you? Yeah. I mean, that's been part of our success is that we are so balanced. Um, I didn't mention coach Dorian Scott's throwers, but I mean, you know, none better than Shanice Love, who was last time we competed was second in the NCA and made the world championship team for Jamaica, ACC scholar athlete, you know, all the things you would want. And she's back and doing her fifth and final season before she gets her super nice corporate job in Tampa. So success story. And, um, you know, but there are two or three on each side that Coach Scott has in the throws. So, so we're pretty balanced, Tom, maybe more so than we've been in a lot of years, um, there's just some events that we just don't do. And there's a lot of events that we do and we do well. So it's always been sprints and relays, horizontal jumps, meaning long jump, triple jump, a few elite distance runners on both sides and some elite throwers. And, you know, they're just events that we don't cover like the pole vault, for example. Um, you know, it's just something we don't have enough room for or the hammer throw, um, oddly the 800 meters kind of gets left out a bit, but, um, you got to pick and choose. And, um, at some point you want to be balanced. It's like having 30 pitchers on a baseball team. You'd, you'd love to have it, but you need, you need hitters, you need fielders, you need people in other positions. Bob, who, who do you have your eye on and who are you concerned? Not necessarily about, you know, beating your team because you're going to be focused on your guys and your gals. But um, who are some of the other folks that uh, you'll be watching and keeping an eye on over in Jacksonville? Yeah, I mean, LSU ranked number one, um, super, super deep um, team. They've got the super elite. <laughs> Ironically, their number one sprinter, we signed him twice <laughs> and somehow he ended up at LSU. So that's always fun, right? Sign him out of out of Juco and then and have to sign him again. And then he goes to LSU, but um, they've got a great double sprinter and Terrence Laird. They got a great double jumper. Um, so they've got some big hitters. They've got good relays. So we'll be head to head with the LSU, but really it's about getting your best group to the national meet. And then some of those sec powers, LSU or good friends from Gainesville, um, you know, Alabama, those type of folks, um, but really, we got to get our job done and not not look over the fence too much, 
but uh, but yeah, the East region is way tougher than the West region in those sprint jump and relay events. And so we'll get a little bit of a preview of what happens at nationals in our region, which is good because we'll get a chance to, to execute and go head to head. But it's also bad because only the top 12 times go. Is that right? So, I mean, if it's, a- that's right. Yeah. yeah. Top 12 uh, gives you a little bit of margin, right? You can, you can lose a few of those battles, but it doesn't, it doesn't give you a bunch. I remember, and you remember both you guys remember Andre Ewers, who was a great one for us. And uh, in the year that he was at his best his senior year, he just had a bad start in the hundred and didn't make it to, uh, to nationals, but he came back and killed it in the 200 and anchored our four by one to a collegiate record. So yeah, you can, you can, uh, you can't win the meet this week, but you can lose it. So, <laughs> but we're going to do the best we can and hope that we can be a top five team on, on both sides. And once you get out there, Tom, you just hope the brakes go your way. This is sort of the million dollar question. And if you had the ease, the best answer for this, uh, you know, everything would be easy, but you know, you talked about the women and how they closed so well. I mean, they, you maximized your opportunities, which is what you're hoping to do this week. How can you recreate that in practice or is it over the course of other meets during the year? I mean, because, and you mentioned relays. I mean, there's no, you know, it's a one and done shot. If you, if you, if you blow it there, your relay team is done. How do you create that pressure so that they do respond and you cash in on those opportunities once the gun sounds? Well, that's a really good point, Tom. And I, and I I think one of the things about being in such a dogfight in the conference meet that gives you that, that battle, um, you know, we've been head to head with Florida, you know, most of the outdoor season. um, So that's been a good challenge for us because they're good in the events that we're good in. Um, So that's been a good battle, but really the, the ACC battle was, was big time. That was really important. Um, you know, I think we're in a pretty good spot. I think the thing that we're most happy about in big picture is I don't know if we've been this healthy, you know, going into a region meet in a lot of years. Um, it's always been the thing, you know, your, your stars are stars if they're healthy. And we're really in a good spot that way. And it's the healthiest we've been um, the whole semester. So, so that's a very, very positive thing. And, I think that gives them a little bit more confidence. And then, you know, this East region, like you say, being so tough, should be a great rehearsal for Nationals. Bob, how familiar are your kids with this facility? I mean, we hear talk sometimes from coaches like yourself that this particular track is a fast track or this is a little slower. How do you describe and how experienced are your kids with what they'll be performing on in Jacksonville? Yeah, really, really good point there, Keith, because it, it is familiarity is really important when you're talking about hundreds of a second, and, you know, those kind of things. And so we were over there at Jacksonville at UNF um, on the May 1st weekend, um, two day meet over there. It's a brand new track they just poured in March. So it's it's a brand new uh, surface and it was good for us to get on it. We found it very fast. Um, and then we've been over to UNF. Uh, for regions before and for meets before. So um, we like the setup. We like the short travel, you know, two and a half hours over there. We like the hot weather, um, which a lot of folks don't like. Uh, they're going to make adjustments. We're not going to make that adjustment. It's going to be perfect for us. Um, but you're right. Having a little familiarity with the with the track and the turns and the, you know, all the relay exchange zones, we were able to do that, um, you know, just three or four weeks ago. So we feel pretty good about it, and hopefully that'll carry over. 
We're talking with FSU track and field head coach Bob Brayman. This interview recorded earlier in the week. Uh, the regions or the regionals, uh, the men competing on Wednesday and Friday, the women on Thursday and Saturday in Jacksonville. Coach, I, I want to go back to Trey Cunningham real quick because I, I don't know if this is possible in his career. You know, COVID was in the middle of it, as is the case for most of your student athletes. I, I'm curious where he ranks in terms of all-time greats at FSU. I know he's on the Bowerman list. I mean, this is somebody who just every time – He's in a race. Basically, he wins it. And, and I'm just curious if you can expound a little bit upon uh, what what his career, you know, just what you've seen from him. Yeah, Trey's been spectacular. I mean, I can remember his freshman year going to the USA championships, which is the pros. And he finishes sixth against the pros as a freshman. You know, that's, you know, top three or probably three of the top four or five in the world in that event, 100 hurdles. So, uh, no, Trey's been special. He's been good. He's, he's got four, you know, uh, I think he's got four indoor titles in the ACC in the hurdles outdoors. We missed a year for COVID. I feel sorry for the guy because he hasn't yet won a national championship. You know, he was, he was all set to win in Albuquerque when we were pulled off the track, you know, literally the day before the meet was starting uh, in uh, March of 2020 and missed that opportunity. Um, indoor track, he had a little bit of a bad start and he lost the championship by two one thousandths, finishing third, like a blanket finish. So Trey's pretty hungry. Competition's pretty strong. Uh, Robert Dunning from Alabama, uh, two good guys from LSU, most of which he's beaten before, but they've also Dunning beat him head to head at Florida relays. So it's going to be a good battle, but I really love to see Trey, you know, get that last piece because, um, you know, he's good enough to make the Olympic team, uh, but you still got to win an NCAA championship. So, uh, and we think even though he would have another year of eligibility, we're feeling like since he's graduated, he's done everything he can. If he wins a national championship that he will forego that fifth year, but you never know. Bob, we'd be remiss. We need to ask you about either a newcomer or a youngster or someone that's just just outside the notoriety, who, who can we pay attention to that might just just explode over in Jacksonville? Yeah, we, uh, we've got a great one on the women's side in Ruta Lasmane. Ruta's uh, from Latvia. She's a triple jumper, and we knew she was good coming in, you know, one of the best uh, under-20s in all of Europe. But she came in in the NCAA indoors and finished third as a freshman, and she is statistically the greatest freshman triple jumper of all times already and she's just off the great Kimmy Williams's school record everybody knows you know Kimmy was fourth in the world and this kind of stuff so she's in the hall of fame so Ruta's one that surprised us and she's in the mix for the top three in an event where the U.S. is dominant worldwide so Ruta Lasmain uh is one of those uh Keith and on the men's side uh Jovan Martin who uh we knew he was good. He was a transfer from uh, Texas, Arlington, I think. Anyway, uh, he was hurt indoors, wasn't 100%. But then outdoors at, uh, at the Tom Jones meet at Florida, he ran 9.94, which anybody knows 100 meters what starts with a nine is pretty special. Uh, so he's had a big breakout season, but he's obviously going to have great competition in the U.S. So Jovan Martin would be an emerging superstar. And Rudalazmine, those would be two to look for that uh, might not be familiar Knowles that will be very soon. 
Well, Bob, you may be surprised to know that back in the day, I actually ran a nine as well. It was in the 40-yard dash, but I did run it. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think you're a better player than that, but I, I, I do know what you're saying. <laughs> it's, it's another zone than you and I ever approached. Exactly. <laughs> hey, Bob, last, last thought, and we'll let you run on this. Uh, the last 14 months for everybody have been difficult, and so that, but this isn't specific to COVID. It's more in your sport in particular, when you get an opportunity to have the grand stage that is the Olympics, and then it gets postponed for a year, and now as we talk, I mean, I'm assuming they're going to compete this year, but maybe it's without fans. I mean, it seems like it's, you know, nothing is set in stone. How difficult has that been for, for not just you, but for somebody like a Trey Cunningham or the other athletes you have that are Olympic caliber and they dream their whole life for this. And yet here we are and, and we still don't know what's going to happen. You're exactly right. That's just been really tough on track and field athletes because, you know, peaking and being at your best, and have those razor thin margins for making teams and getting medals. Um, you know, it's really, really tough. A lot of people were really focusing on 2020 and then you shut down and try to rebuild again. Others have been lucky that, you know, they weren't healthy last time around case on James being one of them, but um, it's been tough on them. They've had to refocus and bring it back together. Um, indoor track has helped us because it's gotten the motor started earlier when normally we're not big fans of indoor track in a long year with the summer and you know indoor outdoor and then uh getting ready for olympics or world championships but this year it kind of gave people a chance to reset and get going again and i think that was important given that a lot of them hadn't competed since you know 2019 and in in may and june it's a long time for an elite athlete to be uh out of competition Coach, best of luck this weekend. Congratulations on the continued success. And I hope, uh, you know, that second weekend in June that you've got several rows of a plane filled up when you're, when you're heading out to Eugene, Oregon. Yeah, thank you, Tom. Thank you, Keith. We appreciate the support. And, you know, top 10 is the standard these days at uh, Florida State Athletics. You're outside the top 10 and people look at you sideways. So we want to make sure we at least uphold that part of it. And, you know, maybe luck will follow our way and we'll be in the mix on, uh, on the last day. Bob Brame and the track and field head coach at FSU. More front row Knowles right after this. Front row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles. Good luck to Bob Brayman and his uh, track crew this weekend. Thanks to Bob Ferrante for pulling double duty today. Keith, just a couple minutes to go. What did we miss? What did we miss? We have a new president. Not, we do. Not something we really talk about on Front Row Knowles, but we'll have a new leader coming in, it would appear. It would appear, though that will uh, not be official until the Board of Governors approves it uh, about a month from now. But uh, a vice provost from Harvard, Richard McCullough, will come in. Big research background. And uh, that really, and this is, was part of what he pitched, will be an opportunity for the university is to grow its research dollars. And uh, so exciting. 
I would agree. Uh, and a uh, departure from, and depending on what side of the equation you fall on, from the legislatively um, experienced versus the academically experienced, we'll see what that uh, bodes as we go forward. We will indeed. And uh, again, the BOG has to approve it. And then I would think sometime in August, he would set up shop and officially uh, be in charge and, and, and take the baton from uh, President Thrasher. And, and how, how, If you were in that position, how hard do you negotiate uh, length of contract and salary now that they've picked you? I, I've never been in a negotiation where the starting point is where that one is compared to me and, and my situations, Keith. So my, mine as well. I, I don't know that I'd fight that hard. <laughs> mine as well. You really want me? Okay. Well, how much? That'll work. Yeah. <laughs> Could I start on the 12th instead of the 10th? You know, maybe I'd get two extra days there. I don't know. I did get, I did. I had one contract where I negotiated and I got, what would that be from a percentage standpoint? Uh, Cause you, you and I are, our listeners need to know what, when you do games, you get paid by the game. Uh, so it's a per event um, um, uh, way of, of handling that. And I'm trying to do the math in my head. I, they, they offered X and I asked for Y and they gave me Y. And I think it netted about three and a half percent. So the moral of the story is you should have asked for Z is what you're saying. I should have gone to Z. That is correct. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, here's, here's one to think on. I don't know where this plays in Keith, but, and I know you're probably not an NBA guy that much, but the NBA created some play-in games here to get yes. into the playoffs this and year. Some people loved them and a lot of people hated them. I, I actually kind of liked it. I think it added a little something to it. So, so on top of expanding the college football playoffs, maybe we can just add some, some play-in games in there too, somehow. Well, it, it depending on how they expand the college playoff, you would have the equivalent of that. Because if you go from four to six, you know, somebody's getting some first round buys, as we're used to saying. So, yeah, depending on how you work the numbers, that could very well become a reality. When they added the first four to the NCAA basketball field, everybody started calling them playing games and they quickly had to come up with the moniker first four because they didn't want everybody feeling disenfranchised that they're in the play in game, which is what it is, a play in game. Times how dare how dare we call it what it is yeah we called a spade a spade all right keith we're out of time uh always fun we'll uh catch up and do this again next week look forward to it all right he's keith i'm tom thanks for tuning in to front row knowles